welcome to another episode of Novel Evening. I'm Danny. You can find me over on Bookstagram as at Blotted Ink Books. And this week, uh, it's a biggie. <laughs> it's a real biggie. Uh, I am joined by someone whose work I absolutely adore. And her most recent novel, The Dance Tree, has been released to just rave reviews. Um, I reviewed it. I gave it five stars. It's absolutely incredible. Um, I adored her novels, The Mercies and The Deathless Girls. Uh, If you don't know who I'm talking about already, it is, of course, the wonderful Kieran Millwood Hargrave. Um, I am just beyond thrilled that she is going to be joining me to have a chat all about her novels, all about her, her work and what she's got in the pipeline. And of course, all about her novel evening. So a massive hello to Kieran. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. This is honestly incredibly exciting for me. I am listening to the podcast and I'm incredibly excited as well. It's so interesting how different everyone is, like what they choose. (laughs) That's the most fun bit for me because I kind of assumed that maybe they'd all be really similar and people have like the wildest ideas and their reasons for it are so interesting. Yeah, I loved Katie and Kat. Oh. <laughs> just like having a horn fest like just basically everyone they fancied was invited that's literally what my night would be I was so thrilled that somebody did that because some people have been really highbrow which is really cool and I'm like oh, I think I just invite hot people yeah, that's fair enough <laughs> <laughs> one night only what else am I gonna do yeah. like <laughs> what to do it I'm also checking out your shelves behind you because we have the same uh, bookishly artwork ah excellent I can see they're looking really lovely and uh, I can spot a couple of your artworks going on back there as well I can see I like to be surrounded by the evidence that I can write books because it (laughs) helps me remember when it gets hard that you know I've done this before I can do it again so yeah yeah. oh I love that and you have obviously got quite a few triumphs to be able to surround yourself with uh, which is absolutely incredible I read The Dance Tree. I was really lucky to get a proof and I loved it. It's it's incredible. <laughs> it's so good. And I was so, it's really funny how suddenly The Dancing Plague has had a bit of a renaissance. Yeah, the Florence and the Machine album came out the day after The Dance Tree. And I, it, yeah, I, I felt very sort of chuffed about that, that in some way I was on the same wavelength as, as Florence. As Florence. And I mean, it's the perfect musical accompaniment to, to those who like to listen to music while they're reading. Exactly. <laughs> it's ideal. And I, I mean, I loved going back to kind of your earlier works. I loved The Deathless Girls. Um, that was a book I really, really enjoyed. I loved The Mercies. And you've obviously worked with your husband as well. You've done some some work together. How does it differ working as a team on something to working solo? It's really fun because when you're writing solo and you're existing in this world on your own, you know, no one else is there with you. No one else, because you're conjuring a world from nothing. You can't talk to anyone about it. You know, you can kind of vaguely touch upon things. But when you're building something together at the same time and you both have equal stake in it, it's like you're inhabiting and and creating this world from scratch. And it just feels really special, actually. It was just a really lovely experience and one that we hope to repeat now throughout our careers, now that we know we won't kill each other. I was going to say, it's a brave move to work with your significant other, I think. And clearly it works. (laughs) Yeah, we were lucky. We were concerned because we work very differently but it worked beautifully and and yeah many more to come oh wow that's really exciting really really exciting and going back to the dance tree 
the thing that for me kind of cemented it as a book that I really loved is it felt very emotional it felt like a very deep across lots of levels throughout your characters it's a really high emotion book was that quite intense to write how did you find that process it was honestly the most difficult book I've ever had to write and that sort of emotional saturation definitely didn't come early on I was quite guarded quite closed I'm not someone who easily borrows from life and easily writes from my own life I find it far easier and and sort of more healthy I suppose to make stuff up (laughs) Um, so I've always been in awe of people who can draw strongly on real life incidents or real life experiences and then during the um, pandemic (laughs) the old the old pandemic um, my husband and I experienced recurrent pregnancy loss and it was just, it just seeped into who I was, you know, that sort of level of want and grief and love as well. So it was, it was, it was a transformative experience and it couldn't help but impact the book I was writing, which at that time was about a woman in her first pregnancy. But as soon as Lisbeth, the main character's journey started to echo my own and, and as soon as I started feeling brave enough to put my very personal reactions to the situation into her character she really became alive and and actually then that was the time when she peeled off and became her own person yeah just by giving her a little bit of my heart she then it started to beat for herself and she then had her own character entirely but it was a really long process to get there the book wasn't working for a very long time that's incredible. I mean, I read it from very much a different angle. Um, I've had two two safe pregnancies. I was very, very lucky um, that I carried both my children very close together. Um, they're both quite rough pregnancies, but I was very, very lucky. Um, so I didn't have that shared experience, but I read it from a mother's perspective of what a woman's willing to do for their child yes. as well. And the answer is pretty much anything, you know. And And, you know, there's such a mothers are kind of women are damned if they do damned if they don't you know if they are mothers they're doing it wrong and if they're not then what's the point of them in society so I was very interested in that but also the inherent just the inherent fire that comes with with motherhood and and with feeling that sort of love and you know I felt that from the moment I found out I was pregnant it's something that I found very easy to access even though I don't have a child of my own So it was a really interesting exercise to really reach inside those positive, passionate depictions of motherhood, because I think so often creativity and motherhood are seen as unhappy bedfellows, you know, the the pram in the hallway and, and all that sort of thing. And actually, I see so many, so much evidence to the contrary and, and how women can expand and grow with and without children. And there are so many possible lives and ways to live. And it was just really fun leaning into that idea of Lisbeth as a mother without a living child. And and it's sort of how that challenges and expands her life. That's beautiful. And, and as you say, I think quite often books I've read that perhaps touch on motherhood, as you say, are quite often perhaps not the most positive reading. Um, it's quite often kind of the woman's perspective on motherhood is very stressful, very traumatic, which it can absolutely be. And I really was, I found it very moving. I've had friends who have experienced pregnancy loss and and they're still mothers. They're still, you know, they're still mothers in just a different form, in a different way. And I really love that. And also, you know, she has relationships with family members who are 
you know, mothers in different ways and you see different women who are mothers in different ways. And I think it's a really beautiful anecdote to motherhood in all of its all of its forms. So I really do salute you. I thought it was it was beautiful and I didn't really know what to expect going into it. Oh, well, that's always a joy as well when someone picks up a book blind and then enjoys it. That's always a particular. Oh, thing. and I, you know, I was a big fan of your work previously. I think it's very different to the books of yours that I've read. And it probably is because it's so much more, you know, resonating with you as a person. Yeah, I this and Julia and the Shark, which was my first collaboration with my husband, which drew on my experience of mental health ill health mental ill health um was you know the first time when I felt like I was strong enough really in my craft as a writer to inject personal experiences in a way that wasn't just therapy you know art therapy is an incredibly good thing but it's not art and it's quite difficult you know you do have to be skilled to do that and some people have it from the very first book and I certainly didn't so it's quite exciting to open up you know be able to actually start writing with my own blood as opposed to imagining it (laughs) and you're doing some incredible things at the moment I've seen you you've got stage productions I saw you were taking a trip a trip abroad recently that looked incredibly exciting can you tell us what you were what you were doing yes so about a year and a half ago in pandemic times um I say to myself I'm not going to mention it and then it's just always you can't not it's like a staple that's it now it's gonna be like the year of covid (laughs) exactly awful um uh, a director got in touch with me and said I've just bought half a Norwegian island and I read your book and I'm opening an artist retreat here and I would love my first production that I developed here to be the mercies so obviously you say yes to that and um earlier this year along with four actors and a scriptwriter and the director who owns the island. Uh, we all made our way up into the Arctic Circle to a place called the Field Station. And you must Google it, it's called the Field Station. It's the mo- northernmost artist residency at 71 degrees north in the Arctic Circle. And we workshopped the Mercies into a play and it is just the most beautiful script and the actors did the most incredible job. And so the next step is to develop it with a studio in in the UK or in Norway we're open to both so yeah we're just sort of taking the next tentative steps into that now how surreal was that to sit in those surroundings and see your work I can't imagine it's honestly the greatest privilege and also so humbling because every weakness gets pulled apart you know when you another person comes fresh to your story and tries to translate it into a different form whether that's for stage or screen or radio play or whatever they're doing it's just going to be something different when it comes out and and all the weaknesses show so it's it's an incredible experience for a writer because I'm not a script writer I'm not a screenwriter so when I do observe people who are that doing what they do with the books that I've written it just teaches you so much and it makes you think about craft in an entirely different way and it also gives you a new access point to a story I don't read my books when they're published um and to sit through a reading of my of my book that as in sit through a play version of my book just made me fall in love with the characters all over again and give me a different access point to them um it was the closest I could get to being a reader of them as opposed to the author of them. And it was a really special thing. Oh, that's incredible. And it just looked stunning. I mean, it, and it was, it was like the mercies, how I imagined it in my head had come to life, which is just, it's just unreal. And I have to say, I would love to see the Deathless Girls 
in some kind of visual I feel like that could be so cool so I don't know who the powers who you know who be I would love to see that and the dance tree as well I think would be fantastic on stage or on screen thank you it's always a dream to have your book go on and have other lives uh, mm-hmm. you know primarily within readers minds and hearts but obviously if those things happen then that would be wonderful I mean, your writing lends itself to it very well because it is very, you know, it really plays on the senses. You've really got the visual and the audio, you know, it really feels with the dance tree. It felt very intense. I remember reading it and feeling very hot when I was reading it. (laughs) I felt really stifled. I'd be sitting here in like my quite cold Devon house. I'm like, oh, I feel really like warm and a bit sweaty when you're reading it. And I can imagine, you can imagine it on screen with the heat and the intensity. How did you come across the story? Atlas Obscura have you heard of yeah that Atlas Obscura just I'm I love that website I always find something that fascinates me on there and I was literally just scrolling through it about four years ago I think and and came across the dance plague of Strasbourg in 1518 and you know it was this short article saying how it began with one woman dancing and by the the end of this two months there had been you know thousands of people dancing dozens of people dead from heat exhaustion and the more I read about it the more bizarre it became there's an incredible book called A Time to Dance A Time to Die by John Waller that looks into the scientific reasoning and then gives sort of a socio-political context and finally sort of a blow-by-blow account of what the authorities did to try and solve it and that honestly the cure is as bizarre as the illness the things they tried like bringing musicians in to play the devil out for dancers which only made more people dance obviously (laughs) and then creating this massive beeswax effigy and burning it in the streets like it was just everyone had lost their minds that summer which is what heat does like there's always an uptick in delirium when when it gets too hot I think yeah absolutely and and to take it back as well I think as a modern reader, it's hard to imagine a circumstance where people can be led like that. But if you look back at the pandemic when people were panic buying and people were joining queues for things they don't know what it's for, it's quite easy to get swept up in hysteria and in this, like you say, delirium. You know, someone else is doing it and you're led into it. It's, I think it's more easily done than people realise. Oh, definitely. I mean, we're all, we're, we're pack animals, you know, we, we run together and, and seek safety in numbers and, and there is always groupthink um, happening, however much you try and educate yourself out of it. And it, yeah, the pandemic was a perfect example of that. And if you add into it the context of the time, which was, you know, God was a fact as real as gravity is to us now, the, the fact that these people were dancing seemingly gripped by some sort of divine mania it was a very compelling reason to join in because they were living in a time that was said to be cursed. There had been a comet at the beginning of the century that basically all the preachers of the time were saying, this is it, God is going to smite us all, we are all going to hell. So under that sort of pressure, people's minds are going to break. And, and then they... followed by this intense heat as well. You can understand why they believe that. Yeah, it was the hottest summer that had ever been you know, experienced in this area. And it was just... The, you know, climate change was insane around that time. They were going through a real moment. It was, there was a miniature ice age coming and the crop cycles were all messed up. There were natural phenomena 
happening and and this is sort of feeds into the mercies as well the context in the mercies um a century later where the cod stocks were being messed up by the the different flows and temperatures of the sea so you know really at its root both those things were kind of caused by starvation that was brought on by um that was brought on by climate change (laughs) Yeah, it's it's fascinating, I think. And when you're seeing it through a different lens, you know, for us now, we can look at it, as you say, and look at global warming and weather change. But then there was only one reasonable explanation back then. And it was either religion or witchcraft, really, that was your kind of options. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly right. God or the devil. (laughs) Yeah, literally. It's absolutely mad. And I... I find it really fascinating. I cannot wait to see what idea you you come across next for your your next work of art. Do you know what you're working on? Yes, I'm. So currently, I'm working on my next work for children, yeah. which I'm having a wonderful time with, and it's sort of around ley lines and and possible magic, basically. You know, the intersections between nature, science, and magic. And then my next adult novel is going to be about um, is a horror novel, but based around. Oh colonialism and um kind of the deep rips and traumas that inflict so yeah I'm 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 lined up for the next sort of five years basically I know oh my goodness get to it I'm really worried I'm gonna die before I keep going you just gotta keep it going like (laughs) don't stop (laughs) oh that sounds really fascinating and thank you for for sharing that as well I'm I'm very intrigued by both of those both of those ideas actually it's really interesting I was talking to uh Lucy Holland who wrote Sister Song and uh, we were talking about the crossover between you know nature and magic and history and how it's almost easy to believe magic was a thing once when you look at the world around us. Absolutely. And, and you know, the science is a different sort of magic. It's magic with an explanation. You know, the, the stuff we see is no less wondrous for knowing how it works. Uh, like a rainbow is no less magical for knowing why it occurs. Yeah. Um, and so really, yeah, the uh, like Sister Song does, sort of playing with the intersection of myth and history and, and all those sort of gaps is always very exciting. So I literally have no idea what to expect for your novel evening. Um, (laughs) Sometimes I can guess, um, or at least have an idea of a vibe. I truly have not a clue what you're (laughs) going to bring to the table because your books are all so varied as well. You have, I mean, if I have like a fantasy author come on, I think, I think we're going to have some magic. Or if we've got a horror author, I'm like, well, it's probably darker. I have no idea at all. (laughs) disappointing would just be (laughs) I know I'm excited so we need to start with where are we going to go for your evening okay so we're going to this little cove called which is a town called Icod de los Vinos and it's in north Tenerife and it's a black sand beach um, that's surrounded by cliffs and it's just got this one restaurant um, on right on the beach and it faces the sunset so we're going to be there from a, on a sort of balmy 24 degrees, any hotter than that, and I can't function. So sea needs to be at least 18 degrees um, so we can all have a nice, because I'm a cold water swimmer, but most people for some reason don't like getting in freezing cold water. It's so strange. No, I swam in, in the Devon Sea a couple of weeks ago at the insistence of my children, and it was definitely not 18 degrees. <laughs> I don't think you like dip and work with yourself and then you run back. It yeah. was very cold. <laughs> no, I do I do love cold, but you know, if if we're going and it's sort of a balmy 24 degrees, so 18 degrees would be nice. 
so the sea's got to be there and I think we'd be there from about six o'clock we'd have sort of cocktails sort of aperitivo and then we'd move into a like a long dinner and then afterwards there would be dancing I am not disappointed in the slightest already I am <laughs> when do we go <laughs> let's do it now so I'm looking out the window at all the rain as well I'm like oh it's 24 degrees yeah <laughs> I love this idea okay who's the first person you're going to wel- welcome into this stunning environment so I've gone for a mix of people okay. I've got two two dead okay living me and my husband of course <laughs> um and then two fictional so, perfect this seems like a nice number and I'll just be there floating around in the background <laughs> eight like eight we can we can kick my husband out like because I think eight people is the perfect number for a dinner party and I do want it to be like food is a focus in my life and so yeah. I want us to have like a focus um which will be the meal um and, and afterwards like we're at a restaurant right so yeah. afterwards they'll be dancing they'll be hot like canarian men <laughs> like <laughs> you know, it's funny your husband doesn't come along for that yeah. <laughs> or maybe he could just come to like the after bit yeah, he can come to the after bit yeah <laughs> he can shake his tail feather there but I like I like eight people because all the people I'm inviting are people I would want to have a conversation and I've thought yeah. quite hard about their dynamic at the table. Ooh, um, I like this. I like it when it's all thought out. Yeah, and who would sort of get on. And and to begin with, I want to do like a potluck. Everyone has to bring like a cocktail, like Ooh. a potluck cocktail thing. So I want to know what everyone's drink of choice is. I like that idea. Mine would just be a margarita because I'm quite predictable. <laughs> amazing I have the filthiest martini you can imagine that you can't see through it like a mouthful of sea yeah oh okay okay I'm liking this I'm quite happy just to work the bar so your husband can come I'll just I've never made a cocktail in my life (laughs) he can work the bar that's a great idea idea. and it's been ages since like a flirt with a bartender so there you go go. perfect Okay, so who are we going for first? Who's going to arrive first of all? So the first person is going to be Leonora Carrington. Ooh. She was a surrealist painter and writer. Um, and she was a contemporary of people like Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera. And she was Max Ernst's lover. But she was an incredible woman. She was born in England and to an aristocratic, or not aristocratic, but very wealthy family and got kicked out of two schools straight away for just not behaving like a lady and eventually ran away with her lover to Mexico, which is where she sort of made her home for the rest of her life, other than a brief stint where her family tried to um, commit her to a psychiatric hospital in South Africa, but then she married a diplomat to escape. Um, Basically, she would just have all the great stories. She sounds like my kind of woman. (laughs) And she wrote what is possibly my favourite book, because it's the book I recommend most, um, The Hearing Trumpet. And it's this short, little, sharp shock of a book about this old woman who gets given a hearing trumpet and hears her family sort of planning to send ship her off to an old people's home and basically has this like madcap adventure. But... Not only her life, and I think she'd be the sort of woman, but 
but also just what she represented within the movement. She was really an independent, quite, you know, modern woman, refused to be a muse, said, you know, I'm, I'm too busy being an artist to be a muse, um, and was, you know, headed up the women's liberation movement in Mexico and just would have a million stories to tell. So Leonora Carrington would be my first guest. And I'd like to get her alone before everyone else arrives because I would just love to just absorb her aura. And that's the line I want to teach my daughter. Be too busy being an artist to be a muse. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) I love that. And I wonder what drink she would bring. Do you know, I think she could be, well, because she loved Mexico so much. Let's go with like a nice mezcal or... You know, just like a really good tequila. Maybe she me with my like cheap margarita mix, and she'd have like this fine, exquisite tequila. <laughs> she like brewed herself in her bathtub, like, like yeah, was- some of that nice stocking stocking tequila she's made in her bathtub. Exactly. <laughs> <I drink> it. <laughs> you wouldn't have to convince me either. I'd be like, yeah, I'll drink that. That sounds great. So maybe you. it's better that your husband runs the bar and not me. To be honest with you. <laughs> okay so she's arrived and I'm sure she's going to be looking like fabulous yes all sharp suit angles and and crisp shirts and cigarettes yes okay so she's arrived who's going to come next next I'm going to bring on my other dead (laughs) (laughs) they can come together (laughs) though actually I think he'd be late so I'm gonna I'm gonna actually I'm gonna go with my next person I'd like to bring in Elif Shafik, okay. um, who wrote The Island of Missing Trees. And um, she is just the most incredible Turkish author and has been shortlisted for the Women's Prize and is just such an inspiration and an activist. And also, I met her at Hay um, last weekend. Also just a really warm person. She's one of those people where you t- if she turns your, her attention on you, you know she's seeing you. Like yeah. she's not just, you know, being nice at a surface level. She's actually interested and, yeah. and has attention to the world. So and I think that comes across in her writing that she does care. She's, she's also a very sharp dresser. So I think her and Leonora would have like a lot to talk about. And they're both travellers and activists and sort of I just have fun watching them get to know each other. And I think how they interact with one another. Exactly. I think Elif would bring like a really nice bottle of wine. I think she'd bring like a crisp, dry white wine. Um, Okay, I like this. I like the vibes. Uh, I like the idea of these women at the end of the table looking super glamorous super glamorous just getting straight into the nitty-gritty I don't want any small talk at this dinner party I want to get straight into like into the big things the big straight into the conversation we're not talking about the weather we're just getting in there I like it I like it okay good choices so far I think you've got good vibes you've thought this through okay who are you going to invite next okay so I think we should introduce We've got my husband, the bartender, so that's fine. But I think we should maybe introduce another man. Okay. Um, I would then have Lee Scoresby from Northern Lights. Um, Okay. And obviously he'd be with Hester, his demon. Because I love someone who you just know is going to bring all 
the travel stories and yes. kind of you know it's like sexy as well to look at not that I'm objectifying a man um and I think, I think everyone's gonna be pretty sexy to look at in this environment I think this lends itself to everyone looking sexy 100% yeah <laughs> um and Lee Scoresby is probably my favorite fictional man um and he'd arrive in this hot air balloon and maybe later when he's drunk we can convince him to like take us off on like a like hot air ballooning over the sea when we can like jump in the sea out of it. So what could go wrong here? We've drunk bathtub tequila, we've got in a hot air balloon. <laughs> All gonna be fine. Um, gonna be gr- your husband will be sober so he can get us out of the sea if oh, things get troubled. <laughs> no one can drown at this dinner party. No, it's magic. It's a magical fictional dinner party. So we're just gonna dive into the ocean. Exactly. Um so we're just yeah so Lee Scoresby would be next and I just want to hear all his stories about traveling through different realms and all the different people that he's met and about the witches um and I just want to hear really hear about like the detail of that world and because the Northern Lights is just like one of my favorite books I think it's such his dark materials is such a fully realized vision um and and lee scoresbury is probably my favorite character from that vision so and travel really winds its way through the guests you've got here i can sense a bit of a theme well-traveled well-traveled guests definitely i just like travel is something that we've all been so sorely lacking and it's something that i have been so lucky to do a lot of and have a very multicultural background and i really think that you know learning about other people's cultures and experiences is the best possible route to empathy and like being a better person and and like growing a better society I think if we had a broader mindset rather than insular things would be a lot kinder and better so yeah especially someone like Lee Scoresbury who will have seen realms that are unlike anything we can imagine um that would be an amazing insight to get I think oh I love it I really do love your choices so far okay so we've got three guests have arrived yes. who have you got lined up next um so I think next we're going to get um <laughs> this is a bit of a weird one and probably okay so it's this character from one of my favorite books that I read recently called Matrix by Lauren Groff yeah yeah, and it's the main character in that, Marie. So Marie is banished from the court of Eleanor of Aquitaine because she's basically like too lumpen and, and she creeps out the queen because she's really tall and obviously fancies her. And she's just this like, this queer out of time. And I really want to show her a good time. Like in the book, she's this irrepressible force that is sort of constantly boxed and it's constant like pushing against her place and time and she makes this nunnery this convent that she gets sent to she makes it into this sort of female paradise this almost utopia but then the outside world encroaches but it's a real struggle to get there you know the book is so full of, of viscera and mud and darkness and you can just feel Marie, despite being this huge, like, broad 
quite describes quite mannish person has this incredible girlish lightness in her like she has this real frothiness and I would just love to get her to Tenerife to hang out with these like badass women and these cool feminist men and just be like just be yourself Marie <laughs> just break free you. yeah just be yeah. you because <laughs> she never wanted to be a nun you know and she's certainly not celibate um in the book um and I just yeah I would love for her to just see the world a bit more I just because when I was thinking about my second fictional character I I toyed with a few different people but I think I just want someone that you can see they don't get to achieve their full true self in the novel like yeah. an idea of that actually seeing that happen over the course of an evening with bathtub tequila and you know <laughs> oh could you imagine her getting to dance and just eat yeah. amazing food and just laugh and yes. sort of stories exactly and just be warm and like drunk and comforted and yeah and then the I sea imagine her like stripping off to run into the ocean like you can picture it she would she would love it she would have loved a different life um so yeah, dear old Marie from <laughs> Matrix by Lauren Groff, but do not go into Matrix by Lauren Groff expecting to see this character yeah. as I've described her. Like that's kind of how- That's I what you're gonna draw out here. Exactly. Okay, I really like that. I like that you've really thought that through. <laughs> what drink would she bring? It's probably gonna be something- Mead, probably. Yeah, gonna say, it's gonna be something that we'll be like, I'm gonna give that to your husband at the bar, yeah. but that's for you. <laughs> Do something nice with that. Try and make that. My friend bought me some mead actually around Christmas time because it was pink and that's kind of like my colour. And she gave it to me. And I tried like one bit and I was like, oh my God, is this what I like lived on? So I used it in some cooking instead. It was it worked all right actually. <laughs> I used it in some pasta, but it's quite a it's quite a acquired taste. Yeah, it is. I've I've had mead once and never again. So that kind of says it all really. <laughs> Your brother half can have that. He can enjoy yeah. the mead. Okay. Okay. So she's arrived. Who who have we got left? We've got two left. One left. One left. One person left. Okay. Who's the one that you said is this one who's gonna be late? Yeah, he's gonna be late. It's it's because he's been chatting to everyone like on his way. He's probably been sat in the taxi smoking. <laughs> Just like really bonding with everyone. Um, and this is Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Who okay. I kind of felt like I was destined to meet him one day. And then he died about six years ago, I think. Um, so it wasn't to be. But he... That he, does put a stopper in, in plans, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, but he wrote so many of my favourite books. Um, 100 Years of Solitude is probably the one that I return to most and basically just revolutionized what magical realism could be and really claimed it for the South American culture and you know along with Jose Sacramango like just really changed what what literature could do and say about society and he was also in his later years best friends with Shakira so you just know he's a good time how like, did I not know that <laughs> Google, Google Gabriel Garcia Marquez and Shakira and there's all these pictures of them just hanging out like maybe he could get her to come and perform for us like he could pull some strings right oh my goodness yes that would be that's the music we need on the beach when we're all dancing <laughs> yeah, she can teach us all to like isolate like yeah. 
do our bellies and stuff. I am too white Devon to ever be able to isolate <laughs> any part of my body with any kind of rhythm. Try. So, we'll try. I'd have a lot of that bathtub tequila and I'd be like, I can dance like Shakira. Exactly. And he'd just bring an empty bottle because he'd have drunk. He'd have had it before he got there. But honestly, if I could write like anyone, it would be him. Like the lightness and the complexity and the grace and the beauty and the sharpness and the violence. Like he's just, honestly, it makes me want, I don't get jealous, like especially not professionally. I think it's okay to be jealous of like one of the greatest there ever was. And I am definitely jealous of Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Um, one day though someone is gonna say that about the dance tree they're gonna read that that's probably me actually I think I read it it was just like I'm never gonna be able to write like that let's just (laughs) (laughs) he's like well I might as well just give up now hadn't I (laughs) no and I don't think like that like literally I never think like that because you can't write like anyone but yourself right but if I could, I would. I'd swap it in a heartbeat. But then if you had this evening seat, you could swap some little, you could get some little tips and advice off of him. And that would be very handy. You know, I'm not sure he'd be keen on talking shop though. I think you would get an insight into his brain, but I think what I love about all, oh no, there is one more person, isn't there? Yeah, I think so. Cause we've got five. Yeah. So he's come in the taxi with Margaret Atwood. Um, yes, and him and Margaret are just best friends now. And, you know, it's quite hard actually to get a word in between them because they're just like, they're just bouncing off each other, just like witty repartee. She seems so cool. Like whenever I see anything of her, she just seems badass. She is so badass. And I think what's great about this group of people is they'd really pull, they'd really push her and challenge her and pull new stuff out of her. Because, I mean, it happens even to me when I go on, like, my week-long tours. You start saying the same thing. And I've been to a couple of her events where she's obviously got answers that she gives to certain questions. She'll be asked the same question a hundred times. And there's only so many ways to to answer a question. Um, But but you just know she is sharp as, like, a tack. She has got such a brilliant mind. And she's one of the few writers of her generation who hasn't let down our generation in terms of having view viewpoints that are hateful or hurtful or yeah. condescending towards the later generations like she's a feminist that bridges mm. the generations and and that's kind of an aspiration for me you know to get when I get older to do my best to understand like the later generation because it will they will be a different species to me yeah I think learning from her some of that would be pretty cool so yeah her her and Gabo as he was called sort of turn up I don't think she'll be as drunk I think she can hold her liquor will she have a bit of her drink left to bring (laughs) yeah no she she won't have drunk yet she'll turn up like sort of gimlet eyed and sort of very very sharp and and she'll be like excuse my friend Gabo I mean this is so real to me we'd have the best night and then we'd be eating like mountains of fresh seafood like whatever I was going to ask you about the food she said the food is important and I keep wanting to ask you what will you be eating okay so to start we'll have the Canarian um potatoes they do these like salt baked potatoes and they go like really crispy on the outside and and they're really salty and they're the perfect like drinking food and they serve them with moho which is like this dip like very spicy dip 
and they're just the perfect thing to sort of start with because they make you thirsty yeah. to be drinking but also they line your stomach um so it's very good for when it's a heavy alcohol night like this one's gonna be see my friend runs runs a pub and it's not quite as glamorous but he used to always serve roast potatoes on a friday and a saturday night just as people get in that tipping point where they're like we probably should go home serve that like i said lines the stomach that like, well we can stay for one more drink exactly exactly and then we'd move on to seafood like whatever they pulled out um in tenerife it tends to be like like gambas and and um pulpo and i know that octopus is a too clever to eat but in this we're eating octopus at this dinner party um, <laughs> <laughs> like it's somehow not cruel um, somehow it's okay in this <laughs> realm <laughs> they're really thick octopuses <laughs> they deserved it these are not the regular octopus <laughs> not, not what you and i have learned about recently no, these yeah. are the yeah the tenerife octopi that are very <laughs> stupid they want to be eaten that's their life <laughs> <goal>. <laughs> so um but yeah seafood 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 mm-hmm. and then my husband doesn't like seafood so we do him a little like pork they do really good iberico pork um Plumo is the cup. Oh, um, so he'd have that and like really fresh, crunchy salad. Um, and yeah, I'm not a big dessert person, but I think probably like something lemony or something lemony. fresh. You want something fresh after all that seafood, you need a bit of a palate cleanser to carry on drinking. Yeah, exactly. And then and then we'd all like then there'd be dancing like Shakira would show up <laughs> we now have decided Shakira's coming all she'd like, bust out some she-wolf and exactly. what was the other one hips don't lie <laughs> um, she did a lot of uh, Spanish language as well hasn't she maybe some of that would be more fitting for the exactly. locale we'll all learn a song in Spanish um they're just gonna be heckling like play whenever wherever exactly <laughs> hate us but it would be fine um and yeah and then we'd all skinny dip in the beautiful like it would be by now moonlit ocean and then we'd all get out like put on like big cozy robes and then we just all sit around like I don't smoke but it looks cool let's kids don't listen to this do they so it does look cool <laughs> I hope not <laughs> <laughs> it's not cool it's not cool not cool to smoke but if you're just holding it in your hand around yeah. the fire like with like a fire and a drink and like you're just like and just chat like it would be it would be so good we just all like we'd be the best of friends by the end of the night I absolutely love this it's so like laid back but also really bougie yes exactly (laughs) that is my vibe like barefoot bougie (laughs) yes that's that's the term barefoot bougie that is what this is but also it feels authentic in that you know you usually get like retreats and resorts that are really really pricey and the people who go aren't really very chill this feels like it's still very chill but in a really nice location yeah and we've spent loads of money at the local so we stimulated the local economy like you know it's been like we helped reduce the octopus population (laughs) which i hear is booming I I love this honestly this is such an amazing I love how much you've thought this through 
<laughs> it just became very easily real to me. I was like, I'm living it. I'm living it. I can, I'm feeling it though. I can imagine the food, the drinks, the atmosphere. I can see the big roaring fire spitting embers into the air as we're sat under the stars. I love yeah, it. There would be no photo taking until like that last like blurry photo, just just to show that we were all hanging out together. Because I I it's so hard now not to live through your phones and sort of yeah. feel the like oh my god I'm meeting this amazing person got to take a picture for Instagram so just knowing that that was coming at the end we'd have one great photo at the end when we're trying to stand your phone up in the sand to like get a photo of everybody and nobody's looking at the camera people are talking exactly like Marie's still naked like it was just probably like stood behind me or something and I'm like Did anybody tell her we're not skinny dipping now? <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for sharing this because this has been a joy. And before I let you escape for the rest of your evening, I ask everyone who comes on about what their current read is. Do you have a current read? I do. Um, it's The Luminous Novel by Mario Levaro. Oh, I don't know this one. It's um, it's in translation and it's um, it's about this. Basically, it's like a metafiction about him getting a Guggenheim grant and just procrastinating and not being able to write his novel. And he's it's it's like him circling around this idea of this perfect novel, this luminous novel. And it's just so achingly familiar to anyone who has had this perfect idea and proceeded to butcher it by writing it down. <laughs> um, and it's, it, you know, I love a brick. I love a brick of a book. It's huge. I was going to say, looking at it on camera, it's it's a brick. And nothing happens. Like, nothing <laughs> happens, but it's just, it's written so sweetly and wittily and without cynicism. Um, I'm really reacting against cynicism at the moment in all its forms. Um, and, and it's a really open-hearted, brilliant book by a, clearly a master. Oh, I should say it's translated by Annie McDermott. Um, and it, it was the winner of the English Pen Award. Um, I can really recommend it for anyone who writes or feels any sort of draw to cords procrastination. <laughs> yeah, I am life. guilty, yeah. <laughs> also reading, because I like to have two books on the go, one for pleasure, which is this one, and then one for research. I'm rereading Tell Me I'm Worthless by Alison Rumpet. Oh, okay. A novel about trauma and fascism, basically, as she puts it, but it's a horror novel. It's like an out-and-out horror novel and flashings of the haunting of hill house and sort of classic jump scares and then it's also just deeply intelligent and fierce and it's great oh i shall definitely add that onto my list you've uh you've sold me with quite a few books (laughs) on this episode i'm gonna be editing it going back and be like right write that one down and that one tell me I'm worthless and the hearing trumpet by Leonora Carrington they're quite short so oh amazing I'll check those out well thank you so so much this has been an absolute joy um I'm gonna be dreaming about bathtub tequila now on a beach somewhere (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna try and make it I'm gonna regret this I'm gonna message you and be like guess what I made (laughs) 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 you get a random bottle in the post and I'm like (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you so so much this has been a joy thanks for having me Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumbo Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumbo Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. 
Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.